about death is uncomfortable. We think if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Sadly, this isn't true. It's the only thing in life that we can be certain about. And because we don't talk about it, often we don't know what to do when we experience the death of a loved one. My name is Fiona Garvin and this is Deadly Serious Conversations. I'll be talking to a range of people who will share their knowledge and experience so we can learn how to make dying part of living. In this episode of the podcast, I have a chat with Crystal. Crystal's best friend Sarah died very suddenly, leaving her loved ones reeling in shock and disbelief and suddenly having to organise her memorial service. Sarah is anything but traditional and although her loved ones didn't know how to start planning her memorial, the one thing that they were certain of was that the thought of a traditional funeral would really upset her. In this episode, Crystal and I chat about organising Sarah's memorial, known as Sarah's Swan Song. Hi, Crystal, and thank you so much for joining us today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your lovely friend, Sarah? Well, Sarah was um, more of a sister than a best friend, actually. Uh, We were incredibly close. Um, You always knew where you stood with Sarah. Uh, she didn't mince her words too much. Uh, she's fiercely loyal. And if you had to bury a body, you know that she'd show up on your doorstep with a shovel. So her, her, she, she had unmatched depth that everyone got drawn into. And um, that's what made Sarah so unique. It was that depth. She was armoured with uh, a tough exterior, but was quite uh, soft and warm on the inside. Um, Sarah, day to day, she stood proud and tall, uh, always dishing out an opinion or two. So she was quite an opinionated friend. Um, but uh, she pulled it off. She she uh, she had a level of class, and she had the relationships with people to be able to dish out an opinion and still maintain that respect. Um, so I guess Sarah, she lived her life without a filter in every sense. Uh, Sarah and I were always an odd couple on face value. Uh, I I talk to this in um, my eulogy, but uh, I guess you could say I'm more of a a white picket fence kind of girl and Sarah more milk crates for bedside tables. Um, But, uh, yeah, we had a lot more in common than met the eye. um, Yeah, that gives you a bit of insight, Sarah. She was uh, an incredibly unique, deep scotch drinking cigar smoking kind of gal yeah yeah and she loved from what i learned of her through our experience she loved being the center of attention and performing and all of those things as well yes very artistic uh loved giving a speech so (laughs) at everyone's wedding at everyone's baby shower uh at work functions she was always the one to get up and speak. Actually, she worked for the Melbourne Royal Show and they recently, um, well, not recently, but last year they were doing their media campaign. And I'm not sure if she volunteered herself or she was earmarked, but she uh, she did their campaign and um, got all decked out in the Royal Melbourne Show gear. And she, she presented like a reporter, um, 
and then she was quite creative. So she also did, uh, she, she had her own stand-up comedy bit, which she gave a go. Um, she was writing children's books. She was, uh, yeah, incredibly talented at anything that she did, but uh, definitely loved being creative and being their centre of attention. Yeah. And Crystal, Sarah was only 34. So the last thing in her mind or her friends and family's mind was the possibility that she could die. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that that was a shock. Um, so Sarah, Sarah's life ended on the 17th of October 2020. Uh, it was caused, her death was caused by a burst brain aneurysm. And when I first got news that uh, she was in ICU and severely unwell. You'd, your mind doesn't go to a place of death. You might think um, uh, permanent brain damage or some sort of, sort of physical injury, but to think death was just so far from anything that we comprehended. Um, but until it didn't really hit me until we went into hospital. We went into the ICU and we saw her and you see that level of, um, you see someone that sick and you kind of understand very quickly that it's it's the new reality. And Sarah spent three days in ICU, her husband, myself um, and her parents kind of floating in and out. It was during COVID. So um, they had restrictions on when and how long and who. And so we were navigating all the, um, I guess, the bureaucracy of the hospital system during COVID. Um, but, uh, yeah, spending that time in ICU with her, it, it, you quickly realise it's a reality and uh, sadly uh, they weren't able to, to do much for her and um, that, was, that was her fate. Yeah. And so, yeah, then suddenly, where do you even start to think? A, a funeral at the best of times is so far from our mind and it's on chartered waters, but organizing a funeral for someone who's so young and so full of life and all of those things. And I know that when we had an initial conversation and I still remember where we were or where I was when, when the phone call came through and from yourself saying, not really sure where to start. Um, my best friend has just died. And one of the things, you know, in that initial phone conversation, you told me that Sarah is the least traditional person that, you know, and the thought of a traditional funeral would really upset her. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll take that was actually um, that was a very interesting day that the day that led up to that phone call to you. Um, I'll, I'll take you through that. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I didn't realize um, uh, that it was actually a memorial that I was arranging um, before I started the process of arranging Sarah's swan song. Um, I, I knew my friend had just passed away and I'd been tasked with arranging some sort of service, um, but I wasn't super clear on the process from there. Um, so I was literally Googling memorial service. Regional Victoria, actually, because of COVID, I was seeking a loophole um, yes. to the COVID lockdown rules locally or in Melbourne. Um, and I spent the day researching, calling regional memorial services, speaking to as many people as I could to get a lay of the land. And it's the more people I spoke to, 
the more kind of memorial packages and images that were flooding my inbox, the more disheartened I was getting because I was starting to get an image of what a traditional memorial service or a traditional space would look like. And it just mortified me. Um, so about by 4 p.m., I was at a complete loss. I was in tears. And I, in a last-ditch effort, I Googled alternative funeral venues. Yeah. And I came across your website and the blog post that you must have written, I'm not sure when, with a list of alternative venues in Melbourne to hold a memorial service. Yeah. So I thought, okay, so this person has an idea of what I'm looking to achieve. Um, and I picked up the phone and called you. And I remember feeling so dramatic that the moment I heard your voice, and obviously you've got a very nice, warm, soothing voice, I think, at the best of times. Um, and uh, straight away, you just got what I was saying. I think from memory, I talked through what I'd experienced that day. Yeah. And uh, kind of immediately you understood my vision. And I think uh, we'd had like a five-minute conversation and I, uh, <laughs> I asked if you'd work with us and the phone call went silent and I had I, I felt like I had to explain myself like uh, I'm not an irrational person. <laughs> I just know I've just spent hours speaking to people that aren't a fit and, uh, yeah, and you were able to... Uh, I think from there we had another phone call and then we started to really piece together um, next steps. And I think you even helped us, you recommended us a um, cremation service and yeah, all of that. So um, yeah, that was really interesting. But when it came to Sarah's memorial service, it was important um, that it was an event with class and style and had that Melbourne feel um, and Sarah and I had both worked in events and entertainment industry. So I wanted to make sure we put on an event that Sarah would approve of. Yeah. And that, that was the toughest part. And, um, it had to be interesting, um, had to have some natural decor, great food. Um, we wanted everyone to really hear Sarah's voice. Yeah. Uh, I know that sounds a little bit strange, but we, we wanted to make sure that we had elements of Sarah's voice, whether that be through music, through video of Sarah, um, through imagery, through having her guitar in the room um, and uh, live music. Live music was a massive element. Um, we had our friend Dee play live acoustic and she's a beautiful Fijian girl that also performed at my wedding in Thailand um, and she helped us build in some karaoke elements and um, just having Dee there and that live music created an atmosphere and experience and the fact that Dee knew Sarah, there was a lot of emotion, yes. um, known each other from the music industry for about 15 years and um, it just had that very Melbourne entertainment kind of industry feel and there was no way we were going to get that um, from a either a chapel or a, a typical memorial space yeah and you're right like could you imagine that as Sarah's farewell um, and everything that you did create was so authentic to her it soothed everybody that it fitted so well I am um, I think yeah. anything else would have felt really 
like would have wouldn't have felt authentic and therefore wasn't respectful to Sarah. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I felt like I owed it to her to throw her and an incredible bash that was a true reflection of her and her style. Yeah, and you did. And so Sarah's swan song, it became known as, so we didn't call it Sarah's memorial or her funeral or anything. It was just Sarah's swan song. And and she really owned it as well. Like, you're right. There were so many components that were included that were part of her essence um, and who she was mm. and what she loved. It was quite Absolutely. an event. And she's a, she's a cool, she's a cool chick. So, you know, it had to be a cool event. With- <laughs> yeah. With some style, yeah. yeah. And it was in Rupert and Rupert, a beautiful venue in, in the inner city. And yeah, just yes. thinking if it had have been in a funeral chapel where you only get 45 minutes, mm. there's no way we could have done Sarah the <laughs> <No>. Justice. <laughs> our, um, our memorial video went for 20-odd minutes, I think. Maybe, yeah. yeah, a little more than 20 minutes. But um when we first approached Rupert on Rupert in Collingwood, they uh, they although they do weddings, they had never done a memorial service. So um, for them to uh, consider doing a memorial was awesome, and to do it during lockdown as well, they were um, a little bit concerned about uh, making sure that uh, everyone followed COVID safe um, rules, but. Um, I mean, what I would say on that is that uh, just because there hasn't been a memorial at a venue in the past doesn't mean there can't be one in the future because they've, I mean, in, in other than the uh, general tone, uh, it's very similar in terms of the event and the style. I mean, we had plated meals, we had um, um, designed menus, we had floristry, we had... Um, entertainment, video, um, uh, audio, video capability. We had uh, MC. So if you look at all those elements without knowing whether it's a wedding or a memorial, you you wouldn't know. So, um, yeah, I think the venues are very open to accommodating it. That just, it just took Rupert uh, a day to get their head around the logistics and uh, they were on board and they were magnificent. Yeah, they were. They were absolutely fantastic. It was such a beautiful space, particularly Rupert on Rupert. Like the backdrop was all greenery and just felt really modern and beautiful mm. and interesting. You know, it wasn't just a cream wall. No. Now it's super quirky. And they've got the annex, which is like a greenhouse. They've got this amazing two plus meter uh, fig leaf plants that just light up the space. It's just so impressive. Um, but yeah, we definitely have to share more images from from that space because it was magnificent. Yeah. And the other thing I loved about it was because there was so much greenery, like we were connecting with nature and all of that is really soothing and comforting and wasn't sterile and it wasn't Yeah, it just had a lovely feel. And so, Crystal, one of the things that you mentioned was about 
so Sarah's swan song was, I remember distinctly, it was on the first day that the numbers increased from 10 to 20. And that was huge for, for all of your family and, and friends and Sarah's family and friends who could be there that we could get 20 people in the space. But there were hundreds of people throughout Victoria <laughs> Right, Australia and even overseas that were gathered in parks, they were gathered at home, all you know, coming in to be a part of it, which was so incredible. Yes, yes. Oh, um, it, it was. I, I remember actually, we had put, we had set the date based on um, an announcement that was going to come out during Melbourne lockdown, and we were fingers crossed. We had our 10 to attend list and then we had our 20 to attend list so when we got that news just to have 20 and was just it it was a blessing and a curse it was sad that some people missed out but there was when we looked at our list we probably had 15 that we truly had to go and beyond that was great to have but those 15 core people that were the closest to her, loved her, knew her intimately, um, they, they were all there, which was fantastic. Um, but we live streamed the memorial so that uh, everyone around the globe, because Sarah was very well-travelled and had spent significant time overseas, she had a lot of friends globally that tuned in. Um, which was really special. And then we had our park contingency. So I think at the time we were able to congregate in parks. I'm not sure what, to be honest, I wasn't, I'm not sure what the real rules were, but uh, it seemed a little loose. We went down to Fitzroy Gardens and there was about maybe 60-odd plus people down there. Uh, And that was just, that was fantastic. That was a a killer after-party bash and, Everyone was ready to really celebrate and, uh, yeah, so we had the opportunity to uh, get together with the, the, the bigger group, but the core 20 people that were closest to her in her life, they were there and we had a sit-down meal, which is something that you don't normally get to experience with a typical memorial um, and really enjoy each other and share some tales and have some cocktails and all in true Sarah style. Yeah. And that's the other thing. A big part of Sarah Swan song was the shots of fireball. And- oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually forgot about that. Yeah, we made sure uh, Rupert and Rupert aren't exactly the type of venue that stock fireball. So we yeah. had to bring our own fireball <laughs> and they were kind enough to let us drink our own fireball throughout the day. But uh, yeah, fireball is a bit of history of the fireball. Sarah and I lived in Whistler. Uh, about oh maybe 12 years ago now and uh fireball was the hot drink of the time and <laughs> I would wake up in the morning and find her at 8am doing shots of fireball in her apartment in Whistler so whenever we, we actually had another friend of ours pass away a few years back who lived with us in Whistler and the first thing I did was show up on her doorstep with a bottle of fireball so there's there's some history there and we got to uh to build that into the day and everyone got into their fireball but uh, 
every time I smell a smell, it just takes me back to that moment. And you'll remember, we actually included having a shot of fireball in the ceremony where we got the staff handed out everyone a drink and do it as part of it. We all had a shot and it was so much fun. And in the karaoke song, you know, that's something as well that the, the lovely musician was able to support us on that. I think it was in my life, the Beatles. Yes, um, yes, yes. That was a beautiful song. Yeah, that that was uh, the the karaoke element is, uh, is, is a bit of a game changer because it, it gets everyone up standing singing together sharing a moment um I thought it was the the perfect touch I didn't choose the music I'm not very musically inclined we had some of our other friends that shared a love of music with her make that selection um but I think we ended up we did our one planned karaoke song and then we (laughs) organically slipped into another karaoke song and there was uh, many more karaoke songs <laughs> done at the park. So, yeah, that was uh, that was definitely something that I'd recommend to anyone that's holding a memorial. Yeah, and I remember that moment very clearly. Um, and I remember suggesting the karaoke song and, and you loving it. But um, when the words were printed out on the back of a lovely card that you had done up and everybody was singing and when it came to the end, everyone just embraced and had a real moment. It was really powerful and really beautiful from where I was standing as well. Like there was so much beauty in it, but it was it was really lovely. I mean, you find yourself in a situation that you couldn't even imagine 12 months ago. And have you any advice for anyone who might find themselves in a similar situation or what would you suggest they do? Or do you what happens when you get the news that someone is going to die? Or do you suggest that they slow things down or try and think about how they honor their loved one or yeah, just anything that comes to mind? That's it's tough for me. I mean, the, the biggest bit of advice that I would give anyone who was put in the situation that I was put in is to is to put on a show, you know, throw a celebration that your friend or loved one would approve of. Um, spend the hours validating the content and the story. Like, get it right. I've been to memorials where the story wasn't right. And it just took so much from the narrative and for the people to be able to connect with the story. It has to be accurate. Um, I know we talked a lot about accuracy on story. Um, Get the venue right. Um, It doesn't, you don't have to have a memorial service in a traditional space. Um, get the right venue that's going to create the atmosphere for you, your friends, your family to connect and to truly honour the person that you're missing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's great advice. And yeah, you spoke about accuracy. Like we worked really hard and making sure that everything was correct. And it wasn't just a case of And this situation, which some people have conveyed to me happens a lot in funerals, is that, you know, you set and you forget. You just have that initial meeting and that's it. You assume that everything's going to be done. But it it does take a wee bit of time and effort. And we had quite a number of meetings and catch ups. Yeah, it was a full time obsession, I think, for three and a half weeks. 
I, I stopped, uh, I took some time off work and yeah, it became it became a bit of an obsession, whether that be good advice or bad advice, I'm not sure. Um, but it helped me. It helped me because um, it was so incredibly important that it, it could it was my final gift to Sarah. And if there was no other opportunity that I was ever going to have to show her how much I love her and how much she mattered to me, um, then I was going to make it a hundred percent. So um, that that is that is what drove that obsession. Yeah, yeah. And along with Sarah's husband, you know, you've done, both done an amazing job. And everybody, I remember, you know, really felt connected to it, and and really felt like it was really authentic to Sarah. And it just felt really personal and and beautiful. And so, Crystal, you know, it hasn't really been that long since Sarah died in October last year. How has it been since then? I know that the few weeks after she died was incredibly busy for you. And hopefully organizing all of this did help a little bit with your grief. But yeah, what has it been since then? Uh, look, there's there's been uh, a lot of lows. I wouldn't say so many highs. Um, moments of clarity where you accept what has happened and then moments where you catch yourself denying. I've watched the, re-watched the memorial video probably 50 or 60 times, <laughs> but I've actually found it to be um, really comforting and it's helped me reconnect and, um, again, it takes you back to all the things that you celebrate and, it makes me really proud of our friendship and proud of who Sarah was. So I get a lot from re-watching that and hearing everyone's words and watching the video that we created that has a lot of um, video content of Sarah. You know, I, I'm an avid runner, so, you know, it, it, when I'm out running for long periods of time, I get really clear and, you know, I think about Sarah. I have my mental voice conversations with Sarah, I find that's been really therapeutic because that's when I'm most clear. That's when I'm most alone is mm. when I'm out running. And I find that when I'm most alone, I'm most clear and I'm most connected with Sarah. So I've um, yeah, got a lot. I got a lot from um, being out, being running, clearing my mind. It's, it's definitely been a journey the most painful of journeys. Uh, it's been eight months and there is time definitely does heal. Um, but I'm, there's plenty more pain to work through and acceptance to um, get to. Yeah, to peace. And, uh, you know, that's a great point as well. You know, exercise is so good for us in these situations, but the, the thought of getting off the sofa to go out for a run or for a walk is the last thing that you want to do. But just getting those good hormones running through your body can really help at these really tough times. But it's just taking those first steps to go out to get Absolutely. that. Clear. Yeah. 
Uh, well, Crystal, thank you so much. And I hope the other thing from looking at the videos so many times is that you feel a real sense of pride of what an amazing job both yourself and Clancy did at creating this. And I suppose the other thing is you don't realize how much work goes into something until after the event and you get some time to look back and, and see what you've created. And it was just just incredible it's something that I will hold as being really special in my mind as well so I hope you see that as well oh thank you so much and your contribution to the day was was next level I mean not only did you um MC and uh we also got lots of feedback that you remind people of Sarah and have a similar (laughs) look to Sarah so you just added to the whole Sarah vibe but also you were able to guide us through all the peripherals like the um the uh taking care of the the body and making sure that we went somewhere that um, was quite holistic and natural and really cared and um, all the recommendations that you made in terms of the way in which we told our story and the narrative and managed the day. Um, yeah, thank you so much. No, you're very welcome. And so, Krista, one of the things that I ask the guests on the podcast is what they've been drinking uh, through the chat. Have you had a cuppa today or is it something stronger? <laughs> uh, <laughs> No, I did think about it. It is about gin o'clock. No, I'm just, uh, I just had a coffee to kickstart the mind, but um, oh. I'll certainly walk downstairs and have a gin. Oh, should have uh, given me the heads up. I would have <laughs> very easily had a drink in hand. Well, I was hoping you'd have a fireball for the occasion. <laughs> uh, that's only stocked for special occasions. <laughs> It is a bit early. I'm not sure what time it is, but I know it's after lunch sometime. But uh, yeah, Uh, it's just been absolutely lovely reminiscing with you. And thank you for sharing your experience on what it was like organizing an event like this for someone who was not in the least traditional. You are a wonderful friend to Sarah and you've done an amazing job. So thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. 